Hello there, and welcome to Fuds on Film. I'm Drew, I'm joined today by Scott. Well, hello. And this is our intermission episode for April 2020, in which a month when everybody's stuck at home with lots of time to watch films, we've achieved three. Just. Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, but, uh, that's um, how this affects your motivation, I guess. But we are going to talk about the three films and hopefully give you something interesting to listen to, although it's shorter than we might have otherwise expected from our situation. <laughs> We're going to begin with... Birds of Prey, or the fantabulous, or and the fantabulous emancipation of one Harley Quinn. Yes, yes. Because they had to change the name because nobody knew what Birds of Prey meant. Yes, I believe. <laughs> yes, it is of course traditional to start any review of a DC comic space film by pointing out what a terrible mess DC and Warner have made of them, and. There's probably not much point reiterating that any further, except to say that we now apparently have Joaquin Phoenix's Joker existing in the same multiverse as Jared Leto's Joker uh, from the Exorable Suicide Squad, uh, to which this outing, Birds of Prey and the yada yada yada, is a really loose, barely connected sequel. Like most things DC, it's best not to think about it too hard. Uh, so, Margot Robbie returns as the psychiatrist-turned-villain Harley Quinn, dealing with the emotional fallout of breaking up with her Putin, the Joker. Not just emotional, as it turns out, as her violent antics over the past few years have peeved a number of Gotham's most dangerous characters, who now see an opportunity for vengeance, as she's shorn of the Joker's protection. People like Ewan McGregor's Roman Sionis, a nightclub owner come crime lord under the Black Mask moniker. While he wants her dead, he's also much more interested in the MacGuffin family diamond, which apparently has the key to a secret account of much wealth or something, which happens to have been lifted by a young cut purse, Ella J. Brasco's Cassandra Kane. Meanwhile, Rosie Perez's detective, Renny Montoya, is trying to build a case against Sionis, much to the disbelief of her supposed superiors. Meanwhile, Mary Elizabeth Winstead's Helena McGuffin, or the Huntress, as she styles herself, is looking for vengeance for Sionis uh, for the massacre of the McGuffin crime family back in the day. Meanwhile, Journey Smollett's Bell's Dina Lance, or Black Canary, as we'll see later, is chafing under the employ of the increasingly unhinged Sionis, first as a singer in the club, before being promoted to Sionis' driver, working alongside uh, Chris Messina's nutball killer Victor Zaz. There was a lot of meanwhiles in that last paragraph, as despite Birds of Prey doing its best to distract you with its non-linearity and visual stylings, this is not so much a plot as it is a bunch of things that happen next to each other, obfuscating a frankly too simple premise to hang a film off. However, you could argue that's a welcome change of place from comic book movies' typical overplotting, particularly as, as this has had the good grace to come in well under two hours. So, if narrative is your bag, then this bag is too small for you. However, I must say I'm more or less on board with the rest of it. Margot Robbie and Ewan McGregor's their way through all of the scenery uh, did not fail to delight me and the action sequences and the fight choreography are on point the over-the-top riot of colours and overproduction that Kathy Ann and the film goes for is I suppose something that will prove divisive but any film that reminds me of Dread and Crank is going to find some purchase with me so this is by no rationale a good movie whatever that means uh, but for me at least it's a very enjoyable movie that was worth taking a butcher's at what do you make of this one then? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it's a standard uh, DC comic response, isn't it? Nah. Yeah. Um, I would like to say that anything in DC Universe that isn't Batman is really dull, but that's not quite fair because I actually really enjoyed Wonder Woman and I've not seen it myself yet, but you were quite fond of Aquaman, I believe. I quite like Aquaman. I quite like Shazam as well. Oh, there is actually. Shazam is good. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, it's, I don't know the... The further you get away from the central characters, they seem to have less interest. I mean, it's no Captain Boomerang, of course. <laughs> no. Yeah. Um, 
Oh, and plus side, no Jai Courtney in this film, so th- there's that. <laughs> this just, I don't know. I didn't dislike the film particularly. Just, it didn't do an awful lot for me. I just, yeah. I can totally see if I was in a different mood when I watched it, it would have just bounced off me because it's it's so much style over substance that, oh, yes, uh, that there's really nothing to it other than sort of the, the cutaways and glossy nature of it. But for whatever reason, that kind of clicked with me on that day. Um, any number of other days, it could have went with a large wall of no. I mean, there are bits and pieces of it I liked. Um, it's weird. I remember thinking that... I say remember thinking it happened a couple of weeks ago, so I don't didn't have to struggle up. But I was thinking when I seen some of the trailers for this that I was just gonna find Harley Quinn intolerable. That really annoying kind of extra yeah. strong accent. And then I actually I rewatched Suicide Squad last week before this. Dear Lord, why? Well, I had to remember thinking it was okay. Like no more than that, oh. but not I didn't hate it as much as everybody else hated it. And I watched it again. It's like, my God, this is terrible. But yes. she's actually one of the better things in it. Uh, True. And the accent actually and the character isn't as annoying as I had expected to be. That feels from the trails like it's going to be. And I felt similarly in this. It's just that I don't know. I don't find that character particularly interesting. It's certainly not likable. No. Um, I mean, she's a villain, so she's not supposed to be. But then again, for this film to work, really needs to be. And so yeah, there are bits and pieces I like. There's some funny moments, and I quite like some of the visual style. But I think the film's biggest problem is the script, which is terrible. Yeah. Um, and yeah. again, pretty much the case for a lot of DC Universe stuff. But like, none of the characters are actually given any character. There's there's cop lady and there's singer lady and um, there's thief child and they, they don't have any character. <laughs> yeah. So that was one of, problem, one of the problems for me. Um, and my other big problem, I think, was... Oh, no, actually, I'm finishing the script because some of the dialogue is just honking. And you don't necessarily expect great dialogue from a comic film, but it's just so weird. And it's it has the feel of something written for what somebody thought was a clever line for the moment without any kind of cohesiveness for the thing as a whole. I mean, and I understand that other people may not be bothered by this, but as a, an example of that, they set up the the young child, Cassandra Kane, despite living in Gotham City, has somehow never heard of the Joker, right? Mm. Yet somehow understands who and what Robin Hood was, and it uses <laughs> bows and arrows. Yeah, no, that doesn't make any sense. Uh, and again, see, I've fallen into the trap, Scott, of thinking about one of yes. these films. <laughs> But, yeah, and then really strange things, again, like, I just, it seems like somebody thought, well, this would be quite a clever line when uh, Mayor Elizabeth Winstead's character is shooting people with a crossbow and somebody um, keeps referring to it like it's a bow and arrow or something. Stop it. It's a crossbow, not a bow and arrow. What do you think? I'm 12. That That's right, because bow and arrows are, are <laughs> toys, um, not lethal. No, just, no. <laughs> uh, and my other major issue with it is tone. And it just... It feels like it wants to be a dark film. Uh, something like, say, Watchmen. 
which is one of your darker comic book film, right? Mm. And I mean, within this world, Scott, okay? Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I know you're not convinced, but I mean, it's got, there's darker stuff in uh, Watchmen than there is in, say, you know, Batman and Robin or something. And actually, something about the soundtrack feels like it was trying to be a Watchmen style soundtrack that would have fitted that film more. Here, though, it's got, you've got a one moment. Ewan McGregor's characters instructing people to cut people's faces off terrifying and humiliating a woman in the middle of a nightclub and then the next moment like looking all pained and worried like a cartoon character and there was a few bits of like weird juxtaposition there that just didn't sit right with me at all and it was like we've got this really throwaway silly comic film and we're going to make it R-rated because we'll just stick a bunch of swearing and violence in but it doesn't actually work with a film either you kind of commit to being a bit darker and you can have humour certainly but it's I don't know for me it just it seemed too cartoony a lot of the other stuff yeah I mean obviously they've thought let's do a Deadpool this that's that's what they're trying to do with this that's why some of the bits are a bit more violent but yeah I, I suppose you can see where you're coming from some of the some of the torture scenes although it is very short it almost seems like it's a, from a, a draft of the film that was like a very early draft or something that didn't quite get edited properly. Um, yeah. But yeah, it, it's not. It wasn't frequent enough for me to really notice it. I don't think. Yeah. Now, now you point it out. I suppose I can see that. But yeah, yeah. Um, I think the rest of it. The rest of it is so over the top and stupid that it, <laughs> it didn't occur to me that that was anything more than an outlier that could be safely ignored. The rest of it is just plain silly. Um, yeah, but it's like- I mean, he's, he's, she's got a pet hyena called Bruce Wayne. <laughs> You know, it's it's a daft, daft film. <laughs> I know. I think that's why it bothers me more, though, because, and again, uh, my mood today when I watched it was fairly low. Mm. And honestly, I was just really tired. That may have played into a little bit. But I think it's possible that on another day, the idea that a main plot point was about an egg bacon sandwich yes. might have actually <laughs> amused me. Worse than this, it kind of irritated me, and that's yeah. because I think because you've got people having their faces sliced off. Yeah, you know, it's <laughs> they don't go together particularly well. Um, and also, I perhaps had memories of Jared Leto's Joker and Suicide Squad, which I had partly through self protection forgotten how bad it was. Um, and that was not nice to be reminded of last week. What you mean? You yeah. forgot the the whole three and a half minutes that he's in Suicide Squad, and every second of it is appalling. <laughs> yeah, and I don't. Know, then I'm not a comic book guy, so I don't really know much about these cards. I'm getting most of my knowledge on them from the Rocksteady Arkham games. Yeah, but I understand the idea is that Victor Zaz is like terrifying serial killer each scar on his body is representative of one woman he's murdered and probably done something or other else to before murdering them uh, and this film the guy just playing, a thug yeah, yeah he's, he's basically henchman number one who yeah. also <laughs> seems to fancy Ewan McGregor I was like okay. to be fair well, well yeah I mean, Ewan yeah. McGregor still he's like, <laughs> of a good looking guy but uh, <laughs> I'm not sure it fits for that character you know um, <laughs> so yeah I didn't think it was bad I just I, I was watching most of it just kind of I don't know fairly flatly yeah, yeah. Uh, again it wasn't like I was not enjoying it um, and there certainly there weren't as many points as my rewatch of Suicide Squad early in the week when I was going wait a minute 
That's really <laughs> dumb. That's really dumb. My God, Jared Leto's terrible. That's also really dumb. <laughs> um, so uh, there's more to to like than there is in Suicide Squad, which is basically just Will Smith, and actually because Will Smith is Will Smith, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Him and uh, Margot Robbie a bit. Yeah, it's, I don't know. On the upside, it isn't Deadpool. Yeah. So it's got that going for at least, especially not Deadpool too. Uh, yeah. Although I think meh seems to be pretty much the general reaction to it as well. There's, there'll be a few people who really, really love it. Um, and most people will kind of go, nah, yeah. uh, which is seems to be what it's uh, what both it and its box office uh, figures would imply. So I don't regret having seen it. I know that there was mm. enough enjoyment in there, uh, even if actually I would have really liked to have seen more of Black Canary because I really like that actor. I think she's really great. Uh, yeah, and despite the fact she's the one, but it seems to become supernatural towards the yeah. end. That was out of place, but. I yeah, you almost for, problem. Yeah, you almost forget it's a, a comic book superhero movie until that point, in which case it kind of comes out of nowhere. For yeah, yeah, yeah bit, bit odd. Mm, yeah. Okay, I mean that's actually it's it's kind of weird for it actually being a sort of semi sequel to Suicide Squad because it's it's got an actual alien witch god thing yes. and um, <laughs> a fireman. Yeah, uh, and all the meta humans and stuff. So that's actually was a really big point of. Suicide Squad, and yeah. also a bank robber for reasons. <laughs> and, and, and even then, Harley Quinn's uh, special abilities is what hurting to people with a baseball bat. Yes, yeah. it's very know. unique that nobody else can yeah. do that. Um, yeah, a scrawny little woman hitting people with a baseball bat. I'm not sure how much damage she's going to do to a bigger <laughs> man, for instance. But uh, yeah, it's it, it's weird that apart from that one one instance in the entire film has dropped that entirely. Yeah. It's quite strange. But, um, yeah, it's, I, I don't regret my time with it. It's just, meh. Yeah. I know that's, that's perhaps a little unfair. I think it's probably more than meh, but it's just... It's maybe meh plus. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I was, I was slightly aware that I use meh a lot, and I know people can criticise that um, for being sort of, like, not portraying any particular feeling, which is quite clearly not the case. I've talked a lot about this already, so... Yeah. Uh, just, uh, no, people want you to either unrestrictedly love or unrestrictedly hate everything in the world, and it's just not not realistic. Some things just are okay. Yes, this I is know. one of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I hear that. There's no middle ground in emotion anymore. Apparently, yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, I wouldn't recommend it particularly, though. I think uh, if you're going yeah. to watch other DC stuff, there is better stuff. It's Shazam is considerably better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, if you're in the mood for some of the more experimentally comic book stuff, then give it a look in. Um, if you like some of the kind of weirder action films, I'd say give it a look. Uh, but yeah, I think it's hard. It's hard to give out a blanket recommendation for general audiences. Yeah. Yeah. Would you say the same thing about Sonic the Hedgehog, though? I wonder if you can guess where this one's going to go, Scott. <laughs> I would to wager no, but we'll see. Um, <laughs> But, yeesh, video games and films, they really don't mix. Yet, people keep trying. You can understand why, of course. Video games are now, and have been for a number of years, the biggest sector of the entertainment industry. But while they can beat cinema in immersion, in terms of storytelling and character, with only Mm. a handful of exceptions, video games are woefully immature and pale in comparison to even the most mediocre films. 
And yet here we have an adaptation of a video game series whose notable elements are speed, gold rings, and guy with a moustache. <laughs> what more do you need? Yes. It's not a lot to work from, and Sega themselves can't do well with it. While I've only dipped in and out of the Sonic franchise since the Mega Drive days, the games seem pretty much universally awful. Though I know they do have their fans, including amongst our listeners, but for me, awful. <laughs> um, <laughs> with the sub-Saturday morning cartoon plots particularly conspicuous by their direness. In the, for instance, in the last fortnight I've had the pleasure of sampling 2017 Sonic Forces and I'm still offended by how bad the story elements are. <laughs> Sonic the Hedgehog is about a thing that goes fast and you collect some rings. It does not need story. Hold right, jump occasionally. Yes. So, uh, it'll come as no surprise then that Paramount Sonic the Hedgehog is... one of the best video game films... Mm. Hmm. Look, let's not get carried away. It's still not exactly good, but we're not so much grading on a curve here as on a square wave. Uh, <laughs> and that it manages to entertain a tall, raucous it straight into the rarefied air of non-awful video game adaptation. <laughs> For the uninitiated, Sonic is an electric blue, sentient, bipedal space hedgehog, whose, whose defining characteristic beyond being an electric blue sentient bipedal space hedgehog (laughs) is that he can run really really quickly this for some reason makes him a target and his guardian a space owl non-electric blue (laughs) dumps the infant hedgehog on earth via means of a magic gold ring to protect him from a band of warrior space echidnas various hues His home on Earth is a small town of Green Hills, Montana, in the United States, where he manages to raise himself and stay hidden. Here he fantasises about being part of the family of local sheriff Tom Murkowski, James Marsden, and his veterinarian wife Maddie, Tika Sumter. Though this is complicated by the fact that Tom will soon be moving to join the San Francisco Police Department. A further complication is that a power surge inadvertently created by a depressed Sonic running at supersonic speeds knocks out the electricity to the whole Pacific Northwest, which raises the interest of the authorities and they send in super genius Dr. Robotnik, played by My Fists Are Itching, to investigate. (laughs) By this point, Tom and Sonic have become acquainted and when he doesn't acquiesce to Robotnik's demands... Tom is framed as a terrorist and goes on the run with Sonic, who fails to cause alarm anywhere, despite being, (laughs) as previously mentioned, an electric blue sentient bipedal space hedgehog. (laughs) During the rest of the Chase Come Buddy movie, Tom will learn just what he's leaving behind and Sonic will find a friend and yada 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 generic pish. (laughs) And, like I said, it's not awful. Really, it's not awful, and there are some funny moments. But Sonic the Hedgehog is one of those films most notable not for its content, but for a meta-story about the film. In this case, the extremely negative reaction to the first trailer, which led to a three-month delay while the effects were hastily redone. While the tenor and volume of the backlash was, as such things sadly always are, far beyond the reasonable, the initial version of the main character was undeniably creepy nightmare fuel. (laughs) 
and the final version of the Nippy Blue Fella is much more fitting, both to the source and to its presence in a family film. This corrected look is accompanied by a voiceover by Parks and Recreation's Ben Schwartz, who does an okay job. While it would have been easy to go too far and make the character too much of an irritating smartass, it feels like he played it a little too safe, and I would have welcomed Sonic being a little sassier. James Marsden is likeable enough, if a little bland, and I'd have been quite on board for more silly adventures between the two. Certainly, that would have left less screen time for My God, I want to claw my eyes out, somebody make him stop. <laughs> oh, sorry, uh, I realise I've been using translations of the name by mistake. My bad. I'm referring, of course, to Jim Carrey. Who's a git? <laughs> the action is passable. Really, that can be said about quite a lot of the film. It's passable for the most part, and that immediately sets it above all but a few genre mates. But it is undermined by one of its signature scenes having already been done in X-Men Days of Future Past. It's an entirely reasonable thing to have included, given the main character's skill set, but it's notably been done before and better. (laughs) I'm really not the target market for this. But for something with such paper-thin foundations, it's surprisingly unterrible. <laughs> Dabbing with faint praise out of ten. Yes. As a 40-year-old man, <laughs> let me now give you my opinion on Sonic the Hedgehog, <laughs> a movie for someone a quarter of my age. Um, it is fine. There, there we go. <laughs> um, I, I don't know what I expected from this Um I, when, when I saw the kind of read on Sonic, I actually had a bit more um, hope for it because that actually looked pretty good, I think, in terms of as well as you could put a Sonic the Hedgehog onto a film if that's something you must do. And uh, it's been long enough since I've seen Jim Carrey go full Jim Carrey that I thought having him do the full Jim Carrey in a film might be tolerable. No. And it wasn't. That was a foolish uh, thought, Scott. Yes. Um, if there was maybe half of him uh, in it, then it might have worked a bit better. And if there was perhaps maybe 75% less of Sonic the Hedgehog's lines. Uh, I know his part of the point of his character is he keeps talking, but if he was going to keep talking, could he at least say something funny? <laughs> and um, yeah, I think that the script could have done with a couple of drafts to maybe polish up a bit more liners, give it a bit more attitude, if you like, a bit more sass, as you say. Because he he talks a lot without saying anything, and it gets quite annoying. That aside, and the actual structure of it's perfectly adequate. Um, not doing anything that's not been done or said a million times before, uh, but it works reasonably well. And yeah, the, the kind of relationship, if you like, between him and James Marsden, that works well enough. And all the the CG action stuff is done well enough. It's an acceptable kids movie that probably won't make adults claw their eyes out if they were forced to watch it um, I don't know if I'd ever want to watch this again or on repeat if you're in those unfortunate situations where your kid tends to really like it and you need to watch it over and over again I would go absolutely mental but as you say in terms of comic book, uh, in terms of video game movies uh, um, one of the best yes. not a lot of praise there but yes, yes it, it doesn't it, have a lot of competition that's the problem yes it's um up there with um, Mortal Kombat, maybe? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but yes, it's it's not awful, and that's as much as we could have hoped for. So, yes. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, as far as iconic video game characters go, Sonic's come out a lot better than Mario did. Yes. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, there are really very few video game films that are any good at all. I actually, I mean... 
for all the problems it has with the ethnicity of the lead, I actually really like Prince of Persia. Yeah. Um, though I haven't seen it since it came out. So whether yeah. that would stand up or not, I don't know. But at the time, I remember liking it a lot. I think you did as well, if I recall yes. correctly. Um, I didn't hate Max Payne. Uh, I didn't hate Mortal Kombat. And of course, <laughs> the best is Street Fighter. <laughs> yes, that's the one. Um, yeah, Mortal Kombat, I may have seen one of them. And I don't remember much about it. <laughs> Max Payne... I think my big problem with Max Payne was that I was more disappointed than anything else, but it, it got some of the elements right. Um, yeah. As adaptations go, of like trying to get, actually get the aesthetic, it's probably one of the better ones. <laughs> uh, the Tomb Raider film, all of three of them, are just meh. Yeah. At best, well, the, the second Angelina Jolie one in particular was terrible, but yeah, so it, it's really not got a lot of competition. But it's... Yeah, it's it's a pretty passable family film. You know, it's it's going to entertain your ten year olds. I would imagine, yeah. you know, um, <laughs> and if you can just like not be in the room when Jim Carrey's on screen, if it, if they do seem to like it or put on repeat, <laughs> yeah. then you might be okay. Otherwise, you may be in the um, the market for a new television soon. You'll put your foot <laughs> through it. Yes. Yes, but I think that's the big surprise, Scott, is that it's not terrible. Yes. <laughs> not the best way to, to approach a film, but sometimes a genre does it to itself. But we'll take what we can get. Yeah. Uh, right. Let's move on to something that is at least competent. Um, <laughs> so that that's a nice change. Um, and that's the film that was intended to be in the universal dark universe thing nonsense that got originally next after one film and is now <laughs> on its own and I think has worked well for it but I'll let you tell the people about that Scott Yes, yeah, so we're talking of course about The Invisible Man now most people will know Elizabeth Moss from Mad Men or The Handmaid's Tale but to me of course she'll always be the breakout star of Huey Ball's 2002 classic Heart of America um, <laughs> I like to drop that in occasionally just to bring on the fact that I had to watch Uwe Ball films for this podcast and it's, it's scarred me for life. It really has. Um, I could take issue with the had to. Had <laughs> Did to. Did it to yourself. Did it to myself. I do. And that's what really hurts. Um, <laughs> in The Invisible Man, uh, she plays Cecilia Cass on the run from her abusive, controlling, wealthy optics engineer boyfriend, Adrian. Not long after, she's able to make her escape and now living with her child-roofed uh, friend. Aldous Hodge's detective James Lanier and his teenage daughter Storm Reed Sydney, Cecilia gets word that Adrian has committed suicide. Except, weird things keep happening to Cecilia. Things being moved, things going missing, in ways that leads her to believe that Adrian hasn't really departed this world after all. And, well, I'm not sure how much more of a plot synopsis you need. By the very nature of the film's title, you're already a step ahead of the characters in their understanding of the setup. Uh, things escalate over time, of course, with her friends and family being turned against her and her doubting her own sanity, and things getting much worse from there before Cecilia desperately tries to find a way to turn the tables on her stalker. So, slightly unusual structure this, as it spends a lot less time than I've expected on the subtler paranoia-inducing stuff in the first hour, which is treated broadly as a ghost hour, uh, ghost story, before somewhat abruptly transli- transitioning into a thriller for the last 
uh, for the second hour. Now, to be fair, I enjoyed both halves, but it's still a little bit of a jarring transition. Uh, and it is to Elizabeth Moss's great credit that she carries the somewhat hokey premise to believability by didn't of her very convincing performance. And writer-director Lee Whannell keeps things in motion ably enough to produce an enjoyable two-hour slice of entertainment. It's another budget-smashing success for Bloomhouse Productions, and this one at least is well-deserved. Um, so endeth my notes. Um, what puzzled me a little bit was I was expecting this to spend a lot more time doing small stuff for that first hour to kind of really build up the kind of uh, gaslighting sort of aspect of it and uh, I think pretty much the one hour mark you get the kind of this weird drag down ghost fight thing um, Adrian or kind of makes his presence known and starts throwing Cassie around the house and then from that point on it becomes something more more like the thriller like the last half of Hollow Man or something like that um, as opposed to being a bit more smaller scale which surprised me a bit I thought that would be kind of kept back to the last quarter of an hour um, however I can't say I didn't like it I think it's mainly because of Elizabeth Moss's performance who's really goodness mm. and that really carries an awful lot of it and she can make you believe practically anything which is useful when it's a fairly high, high concept thing like this and I think overall yeah I, I liked it um, I, I would certainly would recommend it It's uh, of all the horror films I've seen in the past few years this is the one that I, I can most easily recommend there's perhaps films I've seen that are on a number of levels better but somehow still fall apart for me and on some level things like um, the like Get Out and Us uh, there's something about the those films which I really like a number of aspects in it but there's always something that falls down basically the believability of the text becomes an issue of it uh, particularly in Us where the film is asking us to literally believe that there's like this underground facility full of clones of people and it's is somehow used to control people above ground and it's that kind of when you're asked with that in a plate it kind of becomes harder to take the rest of it on face value um, which is something you don't have with here it doesn't push the bounds of believability too hard um, you can almost believe anything that's happening in it and that kind of gives it a, a veneer of respectability and believability uh, that kind of carries it through and yeah overall I think it works um, wasn't blown away by it but um, I would certainly recommend it to anyone who's looking for a horror film yeah give it a look yeah um, I I never really considered it's a horror film I was considered a thriller from the start um, mm. but with that um, minor point outside I, I largely in both you that I kind of thought the the paranoid build up the gaslighting it ought to have gone on a bit more yeah yeah before ramping up, yeah. up. Um, that's some more interesting stuff yeah and it's and because parts of this film are like focusing on it quite cleverly actually I think on the like abusive relationships and manipulation and stuff. Yeah. Uh, and it's already based on a, a relationship where this woman was made to to feel that she was crazy. Yeah. Um, and like didn't really have control of her life that then it's just continuing afterwards. Like while the film's called The Invisible Man, there's no surprise for the audience, but it would have been nice if they'd just kind of hammered a little bit more on like not her immediately jumping to thinking it was him. Yeah, and I think they could have gotten away with that. I think the script was crying out for that, and it would have been cheaper to do. Not that it was particularly expensive to do anyway, as it turns out, but yeah. 
there, there are lots of things that work about it. I quite like the visual style. It's and I know I didn't actually particularly like, it, although you were very fond of it. But it's from the director of Upgrade, um, mm. and he definitely had a, has an eye for style. Yeah, and there's some nice compositions in here, and yeah, it's Elizabeth Moss is the best part. It's just. I mean, there are flaws. I do have issues with it, but it's just a really solid film, and I really enjoyed watching it. Yeah, um, it, it's not the best by any means, and you know, there were bits that were driving me crazy. There were two scenes in particular where, well, apart from the bit where she pours milk on the guy's head, which is meant to be pain, but it's clearly milk. What is going on there? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm sure they've got milk in Australia where they shot it. Or pain in Australia where they shot it. So, uh, yeah, there were two fairly critical parts of the film that bothered me and it's like they didn't make much sense at the time and they looked like it was for the existed to get to the next bit one is the scene in the restaurant Scott yeah where a knife appears um but suddenly she catches it well why would no it's that it's like the actual act I got but how that ended with her holding the knife mm, yeah no that didn't make sense. And then there's another bit later in a in a hospital where Elizabeth Moss is lying next to at least two guns for five minutes and doesn't think to pick one up until the character is running out. The yeah. invisible is running out of the place. Like, yeah, that's that doesn't make any sense because she's clearly shown that she's in her right mind at that point and thinking and like planning and scheming because she tricks him just before that. Yeah. So it's not like she's like distressed or anything. She's actually really sharp at that point. But no, it's clearly because the character had to get away for the next part to happen. Yeah. So there are yeah. a few like <laughs> bad joins in there. Uh, and rather than those sort of things making me angry, when it's a film otherwise enjoying, those things frustrate me more than anything yeah. else. They disappoint me. And yeah... If there's anything else that I really disliked about the film, it's the fact that the Foley work seems to think that this is as, that the Vincent Man's a xenomorph, and <laughs> the score, which is appalling, thinks that it's the Terminator. Um, so the sound in this film bothered me. Actually, I had a third issue with the sound in that, like, when you make your character, uh, the well, Invisible Man's case, technologically based instead of supernatural. You hold yourself to different standards. And so yeah. for the entire film it's bothered me how this camouflage suit was also making him silent. Yeah. <laughs> um, again, I can't not think about these things. It's like, yeah, okay, you set up like you can see where you see the it's coming at his like this like, he's an optics expert and stuff like well, all right then. Camouflage suit, James Bond's done invisible cars and stuff. Get the basic idea of that. Why doesn't it make any sound? This makes no yeah. sense. But, um <laughs> And it can open doors with deadlocks entirely silently. Mm, no. no. <laughs> Again, minor niggles actually because the atmosphere of the film is really good. It, it moves along a nice clip. Elizabeth Moss is great. Yeah. Uh, and I think this, if you're going to have a look at these properties again, like Universal's classic monsters and stuff, I think this is the way to do it. I mean, there's a interesting red letter media half in the bag from a couple of weeks ago, I think, where they show you how um, not successful Bloomhouse actually is with um, because yeah. 
how she got quite a scattered gun approach she's like throwing as much against the wall as little budget as they can see what sticks but something like this it's just strong concept strong idea low budget but quality director quality actors and then it's a hit because it's what 100 was it 300 million dollars they made in the end off a budget of 7 million or something like that 7 million budget's kind of hard to say I guess I think this is one of the it's the most successful film this year as far as I understand and it's one that kind of got its run cut off by the whole uh, shutdown uh, yeah lockdown so whatever it makes in home formats is probably going to be a bit more so yeah it could easily get up to three 300 million I would think yeah so but on a budget of 7 million yeah um, a hell of a return yeah um, because I mean you don't need anything in, in the small amount of CGI because most of them of course the cameras want to get nothing right yes you just need to get rid of that string they used to shut the door <laughs> that kind of thing um, so the CGI that they did is, is fairly minor so they don't need to spend a lot on that and the rest they're fairly standard locations so you just you spend your money on uh, like good actors yeah and you have a strong concept and it works, and so I'm actually quite excited to see what else Bloomhouse, if they are going to run with it under Universal's auspices, what they're going to do with other like takes on the Universal classic monsters yeah. thing. And I am, I'm actually really quite excited about that prospect. Yeah, if they can give it uh, a nice modern twist, I mean, I think the Invisible Man's probably the easiest one to do because it always had something of a something of a modern twist to it because it's, it was sort of science-based even back when H.G. Wells wrote it. Obviously, it's not quite science then, but it was it, it had a more of a basis in reality than Wolf Boy or, yeah. <laughs> or uh, Dracula. But, uh, but it seems to be the right production house. They've got a good track record of putting people who care about the, the properties with people who have some kind of idea about where to put it and letting them run with it. So, yeah, let's... Yeah. I, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic about it, yeah. I'd quite like to see what they could do with Frankenstein, actually, because that's another one yeah. that, um, yes, obviously out with the bounds of possibility, but is about science. I like the themes are really good in Frankenstein, yeah. but it's about science and, like, actually with advances in recovery techniques and maybe, like, stem cells or something like that, I can see that a modern Frankenstein, without being supernatural at all, yeah. actually be feasible. I think yeah, you'd, yeah. you'd be able to suspend your disbelief enough for that to work. So I'd quite like to see them tackle that one. That could be interesting. Yeah. Uh, yes, as for the other stuff, I'm not so sure. Um, but yeah, I'd like to see them give it a go. And I think they've taken something, trying to make it slightly more like science fiction rather than straight horror actually yeah. works really well yeah and let's be honest they couldn't screw it up anymore than <laughs> Universal have uh, with the mummy and such like um, you're not suggesting perhaps that Universal just desperately wanted their own universe too they're very much on the B um, oh, oh also no. train and then yes. messed up with uh, doing it hurriedly are you oh no never never I mean it's <laughs> not like they maybe saw Warner Brothers making an absolute um, terrible attempt at copying Marvel and then saying to Warner, hold yes, my pints. That's, that's what we need. Uh, you think you can mess this up by rushing into it in the nil thought through way? Well, hold my <laughs> pint, Warner Brothers. Yes. So, 
there we go. Three films that we've managed to watch in a month where we've had nothing to do but time for watching films. Yes. Go us, uh, <laughs> movie podcasters. Oh, God. <laughs> we should be ashamed, and I would be if I wasn't just so tired and bored. <laughs> I don't have energy to be ashamed of myself for this. Welcome to the sounds of the lockdown. <laughs> oh, that's it from us for this episode. We will be back soon with something maybe <laughs> yes uh, until then that's as much of a guarantee as we're going to give you at this point but we'll, we'll do our best yes um, and I want to I don't know if you're, you're like me Scott but 2 o'clock in the morning when I'm struggling to sleep because of my stupid brain and like then I've got all the enthusiasm in the world for doing everything and by morning it's all disappeared <laughs> so that's right next podcast we're recording at 2 in the morning and doing all my yes. viewing at 2 in the morning because that's when I have all my energy <laughs> that's it from us for this episode if you'd like to get in contact with us and please do we encourage it you can do so by email podcast at fudsandfilm.com on twitter at fudsandfilm or on facebook.com slash fudsandfilm and yeah what do I do now say bye that's it yes should write these difficult tasks down (laughs) goodbye bye